welcome to Agents of Smooch. We are back from our hiatus just in time to celebrate the most love-filled holiday of the year. It's our birthday. Would you believe this is our fourth birthday? And to celebrate, I wanted to bring our listeners, you, something very special that I'm very excited about. If you are a regular listener to the show, you know that we love a Hallmark movie. So you can imagine that we are especially excited about Hallmark's February series, Love You Wary, with Jane Austen. I'm director of Smooch, Annette Weirstra, and for this mission, I am joined by just one agent, a very new agent, Raina Hardy. Hello, Raina. Welcome. Hello, everybody. I'm so excited to have Raina, who is here, thanks to uh, incomparable regular David J. Lore. So thank you, David, for connecting us. Raina is not only a brand new agent for our show, but she is a writer of one of the Hallmark movies in this series called Paging Mr. Darcy. I'm just really excited about that. And I want to tell people a little bit about you. So your background comes from being a playwright. So your plays, which usually contain magic and sometimes science, have been produced across the US, the UK, Australia, and Greece. We need to bring you to Canada. We have a really good fringe festival in Edmonton, actually, the biggest in North America. You should come here. Love to. Sure. You have also written prose for the Electric Literature Fantasy Magazine, Star Trek.com, and more. And your movie, Paging Mr. Darcy, will air on the Hallmark Channel this February 3rd. And that's, I think, when we drop this, going to be tomorrow. <laughs> Perfect timing. Totally. You are a Michener Fellow, an Illinois Arts Council Fellow, and you are currently under contract with Simon & Schuster for a nonfiction book entitled Shitty Boyfriends of Western Literature. And I feel like when that comes out, can you come back and we can talk about this too? (laughs) I I absolutely will. Uh, It's not due for like 16 months, so uh, it'll be a minute, but... um, That's okay. But... Because that will stop me from asking you a hundred questions just uh, based on that title. I'm like, I don't know what you're going to talk about, but I definitely want to talk about that. So yeah, it should be really fun. Yeah. Um, so is there anything aside from what we've just sort of listed that you want to kind of talk about or promote or tell people where they can find you when you're not hanging out with me on this podcast? Oh, sure. You can generally find me at RainaHardy.com. I do my best to keep it updated. I have a couple of plays that are out that are licensed. If anybody listening is a theater person uh, or, you know, wants to find a a good play for their their theater or their smallish college theater department, my play Glassheart, uh, which has a college production upcoming um, opening on Valentine's Day, actually. People people like to do it as kind of a romantic play, even though it's quite sad, um, is a... is available through TRW Plays, uh, and my play Annie Jump in the Library of Heaven uh, is licensed through Broadway Play Publishing. I have lots of other plays, but those are the two that are kind of currently out via publishers and kind of like available to easily buy and also to to kind of to kind of license without going through my theater agent um, or you know well have, well having something that you know is kind of published and like super super about it. I don't know. I've written like a ton of plays. You can find all of them on my website at RainaHardy.com. Awesome. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll leave links to a few of the other things that I've written. Uh, the original Shitty Boyfriends of Western Literature essay, which is also available on my website. I will put a link to that so then we can all have a preview of what's going to happen in the book. It's going uh, to be somehow a book length version of just that. Nice. A lot more stuff in it. But yeah, um, RainaHarney.com mostly. You can find me on Twitter, Blue Sky, and Instagram uh, as well. Um, yeah. I could have done a way better job of that. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I will put links to all of this in our show notes so you yep. can all go and find her. Yay. Thank you. So I am guessing, and I figured a good place to start is to talk about Jane Austen. And I'm assuming that you must have some sort of feelings about Jane Austen if you were writing this uh, movie. Oh, yes. I think they're pretty positive. I mean, I'm sad that she died so young. Mm -hmm. That's thing about Jane Austen but overall I love reading her books I think I've gotten way more into Jane Austen like in the past couple of years than I ever have been like I've always really loved her work and enjoyed it and like read like multiple like it's one of those things where like a Jane Austen book you can kind of like read it and I kind of forget what happens and then come back like a few like years later and read it again and be like oh my god I forgot you mm -hmm. know like and it's 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 still like so engaging um so I've been reading her all of my life, really. Uh, but this is, these past couple of years, she's been real kind to me. So I'm very, very, like, I feel like personally grateful to her. Um, <laughs> as she has, uh, you know, she writes a lot. She writes a lot about love, obviously, but she also writes a lot about money. Mm -hmm. And um, and she didn't make enough of it in her life. Uh, it was very, it was, it was very unfair considering, uh, you know, how much she's made for other people. I have, I feel like a personal like warmness towards her and like gratitude this year in particular, because I feel like she's a woman writer and she's had my back. I've also like, like you have been reading her forever and I find what is always fun is after I've been watching a lot of movie adaptations, like the, cause there's always so many variations, modern spins, takes. Uh, my my uh, you know the classics like BBC's 1995 Pride and Prejudice which you know is always going to be one of my faves but amazing. yeah and but then after you watch the reproductions and the the adaptations and you go back to reading your book and you're like you know what Jane Austen is really funny she's just funny and cutting and kind of sly in her humor and she sees through the human condition in a way that is still so relevant today and I think that's why we keep coming back to her for the romance but I think also just the human experience of it absolutely yeah it's so there's something that's so like clear-eyed about the way she writes and so I don't know it's just so engaging they're obviously caricatures in some ways they're very and that's sort of has a that's taken to be like a derogatory term mm -hmm. you know a, a being exaggerated but they're like in incredibly funny yes. and they just but they leap off the page and they feel completely real um you know basically everybody she writes or, and like, even that pops into mind is like a mr collins as a classic <laughs> right like he's so ridiculous and he's such a caricature as you say but also he's so effective and so and yeah just not somehow not even a little bit overdone yeah even so over the yeah. top like, I always imagine I, he would be one of the best characters to play in it, like, if you're filming it. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
It's interesting. It's so one of the like you kind of brought up, and I'm already going off on a that's tangent, okay. So that's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> you brought up like, watching the movies and then reading the books, or vice versa. And it is kind of it is quite interesting. I feel like the casting of the men is often one of the things that most changes, right? The meaning of the books. Like I think the kind of really biggest example of it that um, that I've had. That that I've that I've kind of been face to face with recently because when I was doing so, well, if you later on, I'll tell you like the story of how I came to write sure. this movie and how it all came, uh, from actually research for the City Boyfriends of Western Literature book proposal. Um, but uh, I kept, you know, reading essays about sense and sensibility and uh, how like the men in Sense and Sensibility are very disappointing. Um, and how, like, is Sense and Sensibility, like, the story of, you know, like, women compromising or kind of having to give up, like, their ideals and, like, all this other stuff. And, you know, at the Jane Austen conference that I went to as research for this, there were, there were like, people giving talks about that. And I was like, what are you talking about? These dudes are smoking hot. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, so smoony. And, I, like, and then I was like, wait a minute. Oh, Yeah. They cast Alan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Not fair. <laughs> and I and it and I'm not sure that like even at this point, and even I think also uh for for Edward uh casting Hugh Grant mm-hmm. is he's in the book he's explicitly not 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 attractive, like or not that attractive. Yeah. Whereas like Hugh Grant is a famously pretty, pretty, pretty man. <laughs> and, um, and a classic rom-com it, hero, right? Like he's just always the rom-com hero. Yeah. So if you're talking like, if you're saying, oh, she's kind of having these men kind of represent like, you know, this like somewhat principled, ineffectual British, you know, <laughs> like ineffectuality, sorry, ineffectual British ineffectuality, that's redundant and, you know, what who can make that more attractive than Hugh Grant like nobody Mm -hmm. um so it's (laughs) that's like that's his specialty um so especially like obviously the the young non-cad version of Hugh Grant before he did his and absolutely you know good for him what a great what a great heel turn one of the classics (laughs) um (laughs) baby baby Hugh Grant when he was when he was still a baby face Mm -hmm. uh only playing, only only playing um, sweethearts with no like devilish undercurrent. Um, but yeah, so it's funny. And then like the same, slightly lesser degree with Mr. Collins, who is like an incredible comic character to play. He's described as like quite large and physically imposing in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, he's generally not cast that way because he may be too scary. <laughs> right. <laughs> we need him to be a little reduced so we can make fun of him and not be as afraid. Yeah. You know, like if you had to play it physically, it makes it maybe a little harder to laugh at than it is when you're not having to confront like the physical reality the same way. So I'm a theater person. So I think about yeah. these things. I would really. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have a favorite, Dar- like, uh, I know you're writing about Mr. Darcy for your movie, but do you have a favorite Austin hero? I have, I do have quite a soft spot for persuasion overall. Mm-hmm. I like Anne, you know, but I like, I like all of them. It's hard not to like all of them. I think Mr. Darcy is kind of objectively the best one. Mm-hmm. 
if we're not allowing people like Alan Rickman to sway our judgment. Um, <laughs> because, you know, he's a, he's a man who was wrong and you get to tell him off and then he changes his mind. When does what that happen, does right? Yeah. So that's just, that's just objectively, that's the best. How You can't beat that. You can't beat that. But um, I, I do love the, the love story and persuasion a great deal. And I think I sort of feel more for Anne. I have a soft spot for Mr. Tilney because he is like sort of the silliest and softest and almost more spelled out than some of the later characters because you spend a lot of time with him through the book and he likes gothic novels and fabrics and you're just, yeah, Mr. Tilney. Yeah, I see you. I think he's underrated. I love that choice. Yeah. I love that choice. It's very cool. <laughs> I'm just really curious how you got from writing plays into getting the opportunity to write a movie for Hallmark. Playwriting is not really something at which you can feed yourself or your family. <laughs> I've been interested in a long time into seeing if I could transition. Many playwrights transition to television. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, I think it might have been like 2018 or so. I was staying in a staying in a friend's guest room in Texas for one of my plays and like moaning and whining about my life and this friend was like well you know like what do you what what where do you want to go with this and I was like oh, I'd like to do xyz I think you know maybe I could like write for tv or something like that and it was just like a complete mess and he was like well you know maybe you could talk to somebody who's done that and who's made that transition and <laughs> and see if they have any advice um so I was like oh okay, that's not, I, I'll do that. So I did do that. And it didn't by any means result in like immediately being able to go from, because it's like a long, long mm -hmm. road, right? Like I like I went to grad school uh, as a missioner fellow, which is a wonderful, wonderful experience. And, and I got an agent while I was there. But then like before I graduated, that agent like left agencying. And so it was unrepresented for a long time. Mm -hmm. And like the original plan had been to like, have that agent who was a theatrical agent like introduced me to other people at their agency uh who were in film and tv but like that she just like left the industry and so i was like okay well now i'm now i'm unagented and um nobody's quite interested in me at that agency anymore so it's like there's just all this like going back and forth and going back and forth but uh, i think when i decided to sort of like get a little more focused then all of a sudden i also got lucky <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, you know, talked to a bunch of people, like I was basically the person that I talked to, um, who, uh, a fantastic uh, playwright who's a super successful TV person now said that, okay, yeah, you've actually got a lot going on as a playwright. I had enough going on as a playwright. I had like a rolling world premiere coming up. I had like, you know, plays being published and like just keep being produced and all that. He's like, you can go, you can, you should, you're at a stage in your career, especially if you want to make this move where you can get a theater agent and then see if the theater agent can help you get a um, TV film representation. So after kind of a long road of like lots of rejections, uh, I was able to do that. And then she recommended me some people. Then there were some more rejections. And then finally uh, she connected me with my manager and that's been a great relationship. Uh, J Jack actually set me up with this movie, uh, but also at the same time, like completely independently, like I got my, TV film agent oh, who is cool. different from the manager and 
a book agent who just found me from stuff that I had been putting out on the internet and in other <laughs> in other realms. So kind of a combination of, I think, of being prepared and going out for it, but also being easy to find, putting out work into the world, and then having people, like, find you. Yeah, you sort of have to do everything, I guess. And yeah. then you have to get lucky. Yeah. But you, <laughs> you also have to be prepared. So I'm really grateful that it's gone, that it's gone as well as it has. It took year, years after I actually signed with anybody to get work because I kind of did that right before the pen. Of Damn course, it. the pandemic ruins everything, right? <laughs> yeah, I managed to get like, repped in 2019, and then I was like, they're all going to drop me. I'm not making any money. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but then I eventually started to get some work. So yeah, that's how it happened. Um, well, they like they say, like behind every overnight success is years and years of hard work and preparation. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Didn't feel actually... In some ways, it does feel overnight, but also not. Even writing the movie probably took a great deal of time. And I'm guessing from writing to production is probably at least a year. Yeah, which is actually, that's blazingly fast. Yeah. That was very, it was, yeah, I would say I already had an outline kind of when I went into um, talks with, Hallmark I already had like a really really strong outline Mm -hmm. I pitched it to them in a pretty complete form another fun story that that I will tell you about if you ask later (laughs) and then it took a while for them to buy like I think I pitched it in the spring and then in the summer they said they wanted to buy it and then it took a while for everything to get commenced and like negotiated and then I was actually commenced I think in early fall and I, you know, had three weeks for my outline, which was already very full. So that was good. Uh, then I turned that in. I got some notes back on it. And then after a certain point, I got, I think it was like, yeah, like late October, early November is when I started actual drafting mm-hmm. from the outline. And that's four weeks. I turned that in. And then I had a couple more rewrite phases after notes, you know, separated yeah. by a week. So then I'd get like, Three weeks for each one. Turned in the final polish uh, on May second, right before the writer strike started. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I actually was supposed to. I would have had more time to do that rewrite had it not been for the writer strike. So I turned that in. Then they shot it in October. So from the time I was officially under contract to start writing for Hallmark to the time they actually shot it was about a year, and that's blazingly mm-hmm. fast. I think Hallmark has a super, super zippy production I was like, schedule. I feel like they might have a bit of a machine happening in how they produce stuff. Because they produce, I mean, like we had, what, 40 new movies at Christmas, let alone all of the okay. other movies they're running at other times of the year. Yeah. So, like, basically, I found this out. Anytime you watch a Hallmark movie, it has not been shot during the appropriate mm-hmm. seasonal well, that you're watching it. So my movie was set in spring because I think they want they wanted it to air in spring, but it was shot in fall. Right. So <laughs> the rough cut, they had all of these beautiful fall foliages. They were like little notes on the screen being like, FX, please right. make the screen. <laughs> you know, I hadn't, the, the, my actors were out in this beautiful garden dancing and talking to each other and there's little puffs of smoke coming out of their mouths. <laughs> it's cold. Yeah, and then the little notes to effects being like, please remove air puffs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I don't have too much knowledge about what the Christmas movies look like before. 
this is the interesting thing I've noticed is I think because like Christmas is so like has become like a thing that they now seem to be trying to have actual snow and before it was literally like foam and rolls of (laughs) cotton batting and and, like that was one of the joys of watching it though is like you're watching you like they're all filmed in Vancouver and or Toronto (laughs) right so they're filmed in Canada so practically Canadian we know snow and they're all the snow is usually terrible however I would say in like having been doing this for a while and I feel like there's been a real shift and I think because I and again it might be pandemic related where we all sort of like really turn to like the comfort food neutral safe romance that's not really going to shake us too much out of our comfort zone in the pandemic and uh, if you watch like a movie that's been like out in like 2016 or 2017 and then you watch the ones that are coming out now I'm like no but they're actually good now. They're getting better. I think the production quality is going up. The writing is going up. Everything about it is just becoming better. And some of them, I'm like, no, these aren't like, oh, I good. they're good for a Hallmark movie. These are actually genuinely good movies. And I'm starting to really enjoy that, which I think is cool because the whole Hallmark genre is really focused on like the female gaze and often that is sort of discounted as not important. So seeing a space where, because there's been a time where we didn't, that was the only place to get a rom-com, right? Like we're seeing some more of that coming back in the main theaters again, which is great, but it's almost like we had a dearth of rom-coms for so long. So having a space where it's actually there is very exciting and then going like you know what by all of us getting invested and watching I think we're making Hallmark better because they're like raising up to our level or something I've seen so many like last year I watched like 30 Hallmark Christmas movies in a row and like none of the things that people like make fun of Hallmark for were present Mm -hmm. like they were all you know like I was like they were all like very like there was different stuff going on there there were like time travel plot lines and like fantastical plot lines and you know things set in cities and you know like, like it was it was very it, it, yeah I was really surprised and I had um not surprised but I think I think I you know now that I'm a Hallmark writer I'm like I'm a little like I'll get a little like huffy about <laughs> on, like Twitter and they'll like make jokes about like hey you know like I'm moving home to the small town I'm like you're you didn't watch any Hallmark movies to make that joke mm-hmm. You read it jokes. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, and I think I told you when I was pitching this to you that we made bingo cards. So they have like, you know, uh, some of them are like going home, going to marry your hometown guy or wearing a red and green outfit at Christmas because they all do that. But it's also real snow. Is there real snow? Because sometimes there's, sometimes there's not. But the thing we were laughing about is like oh no the better movies don't hit those tropes as much what makes the bingo cards harder to do but uh two of my favorites this year both had time travel in it it was a Biltmore Christmas and Round and Round which was a Hanukkah movie and they were both like I was like watch both of them more than once they were so good yeah I got I heard a lot about a Biltmore Christmas I have to watch that one even though it's a little bit Christmas because it sounds really really good and they got more diverse because I, I believe they changed the president of the organization in 2018, 2019. And now they're having queer stories. They're having more people of color. Uh, so the diversity of it has also increased a lot in the last few years, which is super cool. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's also something that, that I noticed. Um, and yeah, I think you're still, I think, I do think that they have, I think, I think the CEO might've rotated around yeah, again. I think but just I, recently they replaced their CEO again. I do really love, it seems like the direction she set them on is, is a really great mm-hmm. one. And I, I've just been loving the movies, <laughs> you know, like it's amazing how at Christmas, how many like Hallmark Christmas movies you can watch, you can watch. <laughs> You can watch so many, and I'm like not good at watching movies either. Like I'm, I I am bad at it. Like I watch movies in the theater because, like, they have a specified start time and end time. (laughs) It won't put off starting them until it's like too late. I'll I'll just like rip through like my stack of like Hallmark Christmas movies. Um, uh, while I'm like doing my cards, like nothing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and yeah, they're they're just so like within like it was interesting to come up with one because within like what are very tight strictures in some ways right but i'm used to much tighter than Mm -hmm. strictures than that in other ways right um how much how much like creativity you can have and like what fun new things you can do with it right and and still deliver what needs to be delivered while making something that like is you and like matters to you because that's that's what actually makes a scriptwriter worthwhile mm-hmm. right i it's interesting i <laughs> on one of my like screenwriting discord servers people were asking like you know do you are you writing for yourself or are you writing for the market and i'm like 100% both because usually the format that i'm aiming at is 100% the market yeah i would say 80% of the time right i will have an opportunity to write i'll be like okay let me see if I can write a small cast musical, right? Or uh, let me see if I can write a single set play with four characters, right? And like, and then, you know, for the Hallmark movie, it it has to have a romance. It has to be like pretty clean and it has to have a lack of malevolence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love because actually like that's one of the things I'm proudest about myself as a writer is the ability to create like drama and pain without a villain. Right. Great villain is fun, but when you have set up your plot so that everyone's good intentions end up causing pain, then you just kind of feel like a mastermind. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You can get a little sadder at Christmas, but in general, you know, when it's when it's not Christmas, you do not want to be reminding people of the worst problems in their lives. Yes, it's true, right? We're, we're all pretending everything's okay now. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you can't. And this is another thing, another reason why, like, I, I do really enjoy writing this and think I'm more suited to it than people sometimes assume because I'm a playwright. Mm-hmm. I I do like to sneak up on people. You can, you can go deep and find pain without necessarily talking about these viciously heavy topics. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much you can you can find you can find the pain in any topic, no matter how light. And mm-hmm. <laughs> that is often, I think, what I end up doing because um, I'll I'll write like of my own free will. Right. I'll like write a musical about a science fiction convention where the worst thing that happens is that the show they're all there for is canceled. Mm-hmm. That's the worst thing that happens to everybody. <laughs> In, in that musical that I wrote the book for and it's genuinely painful for them yeah. and like they they experience genuine pain and so does the audience 
right? <laughs> like I didn't have to kill anybody or strike them down with the disease. And obviously these things do happen and like can be cathartic, but they're, it, that's not the only way to find, sorry, it can be cathartic when you explore them in yes. drama. I'm yes. not saying that's bad. That's not actually the only way to, you are not barred from digging deep just because you are barred from, from accessing like certain extremely dramatic storylines. Mm -hmm. That totally makes sense, right? And sometimes they can represent things that are deeper even when they're not. Exactly, exactly. So you said you had an outline. So did you come to them with this sort of general idea or did they come to you or was it a collaboration to kind of create the concept of this movie? So this is what happened. It's kind of an inspirational story. <laughs> Excellent. I'd gotten laid off. And so my manager was like kind of shaking some of the dust bunnies out he was like, oh, let me just bring you a few things I wouldn't maybe normally bring you. Um, and he'd been approached by a, a producer from a, um, a company that I will not name, but it's a small production company, not a small company, it's a fairly big production company. They make basically knockoff Hallmark movies. Okay. They make, uh, they, I think they also might make knockoff Lifetime movies. Um, <laughs> and they various people sometimes hallmark probably but like like to be like international market etc the budget is like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. to give you context hallmark movies are generally one to three okay and the, and hallmark movies are made very efficiently yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this woman approached me approached my manager and my manager's like do you want to talk to her and i was like sure and so um i got a list of the parameters that were needed and it was very strict. It was like one of the most hilarious documents I've ever read. It was so funny um, because like th this is exactly how old the protagonist needs to be. This is exactly how old her like love interest needs to be. And I want to say I never got anything this strict from oh, Hallmark wow. like at all, you yeah. know, but like this thing was really strict. It was like for the Christmas movies, like there must be as much snow as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and just like all of these things laid out, you know, like all of these rules. Right. And I was like, ooh, rules. I love them. So I came up with a bunch of ideas. And this particular one, Paging Mr. Darcy idea, I had been researching the Jane Austen, Mr. Darcy chapter of Shitty Boyfriends of Western Literature. Right. So I was reading a lot about Jane Austen. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Mr. Darcy is chapter one. Excellent. It, it was what I wrote as my sample chapter for the book proposal. So one of the things that I had read about was uh, the 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 sort of Jane Austen conferences, and I and I read like a little memoir by a young man who had been recruited by his mother to dress up as Mr. Darcy at at these balls conferences, and I was like, that's cute. And so one of the very brief ideas I sent to this producer was, um, you know, uh, was was this like. Oh, you know, a professor falls, uh, like a, a professor of English literature who's giving a keynote speech, gets involved with the dude who plays Mr. Darcy at the ball mm -hmm. and uh, at this um, conference that like kind of combines fanishness and uh, literary criticism, which is what's great about the Jane Austen Society of North America. Absolutely yes. referenced in this, but it's kind of this combination of of, of fanishness and serious, uh, you know, academic study uh, in, in quite a fun way. And I was like, you know, rom-coms are kind of about tensions between, they're, they're about they're about tensions between like opposing mm -hmm. forces. And I was like, this is great, so I'll do that. And I developed like four or five ideas like that she liked and that she was like, this is the best one. And then we were developing it more and more. And I was like writing, like I wrote a three pager and then I, she just kind of kept, 
coming back at me with notes and notes and notes and notes. And I'm like, that's great. But I hadn't been contracted or paid. Right. So there's a line. I had paid work that was going on at the same time. And I think like the eighth round of notes that she came back to me with, and I was turning these notes around with her so fast, like 24 hours, right? And she was still like, she just kept coming back because I wanted to work on this other stuff. She just kept coming back to me with more and more notes. And at a certain point, I was like, I'm going to talk to my manager and be like, is this like, how much of this do I have to do? And I did. And he was like, oh yeah, let me talk to her. And like, just let me just say like, hey, if you're going to make her like do eight rewrites, like pay her something, come on. Because I knew, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I waited that long because I knew he would be like, what are you doing? Stop yes. doing all this work for yes. immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I was like, so, um, so he, he contacted her and she basically sent him this really mean email about me. Oh no. <laughs> like that I felt like I was like freaking out about it. I was calling everybody that I knew and be like, what should I do? She's going to be bad mouthing me everywhere. And I was just like so stressed out about it. I was like crying because I was like, didn't want people. I thought, I thought she was trying to undermine my relationship with my manager. And who knows what she would do next. But my manager backed me up and was like, look, if you want to keep doing this, you can, but otherwise just like walk away. Like she said in the email, you don't have a contract. You are free to take this idea. It's yours. Like (laughs) it's, you can take it anywhere. And after agonizing, because I had nothing else going on, right? Like I had one small contract that I had, that I got to turn in, but it unfortunately didn't go anywhere. And I, and I had, had no other contracts on the horizon. And I was like, I got to walk away. I can't, I don't feel like I can trust this woman. <laughs> like, yeah, if this is what it's like now, it's not going to get better. Exactly. If she just said no, if she just said like, sorry, I do need the additional rewrites, which again, also I'd gotten to the point where I was like, wait, actually, I don't think that's the right direction to take right. it. I have a much idea. And she was like, no, 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 we have to do like this idea. And I'm like, no, this, this, I have a way better way to solve this problem, which is the one that you will see Excellent. in the Hallmark. There's that. But if she just said no, I probably would have just kept working with her. But thankfully, she was a real jerk about it. Mm-hmm. And I walked away and Jack, who had no contacts at Hallmark at the time, found some, <laughs> got me a pitch meeting and I worked it up into a live pitch um, which is just me like telling you the story for like 20 minutes and talking right at you with some light visual aids and they bought it which is a little crazy and so vindicating perhaps extremely vindicating yes. extremely vindicating incredibly like and it was such it was a time when I was like I was being treated badly and I walked away and it worked out so much better than I could have imagined mm-hmm. It was the pay scale was so much higher. The way it is so much better. It's been so incredibly fun to work with them. The cast that they put together was like wonderful. Mm-hmm. Like I, it, it's just, I mean, it, it's just this undeniable, like straight upgrade, <laughs> like, like across the board. And, you know, I'm grateful to her for having been mean to me. <laughs> it was probably the wrong move on her part. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's basically the story of paging Mr. Darcy is you've got the woman is the very serious scholar versus the handsome <laughs> Mr. Darcy actor and I'll put a link to the the trailer you should go watch it and it's starring Mallory Jansen and Will Kemp both of whom if you're watching the Hallmark movies you're like yeah totally know these two they're great and it looks super fun 
confession. I have been to an Austin event where I've made my husband dress up. I've worn the outfit. We have a local ball and they haven't done it since COVID, which I'm really sad because now I have all the outfits and we do like the fancy dances and we have dinner and we're in this hotel and everyone's wearing fabulous outfits and it's like such a fun thing. So um, I'm looking this up for you right now. Yes. When's the next Asna conference? The, the big regional conference and events. They probably do have, I, I actually knew some professors who were part of that organization and they're the, probably the two that got me hooked on, really hooked on Austin in university. So. Oh, annual general meetings. You should go. It's really very fun. <laughs> uh, Jane Austen, this is the theme, Jane Austen annotated, Jane Austen's literary, political, and cultural origins. Ooh, it's in Cleveland and it sounds extremely academic. I love it. Oh, that is so cool. So uh, yeah, if you can make it down to Cleveland, you probably should have gone to one of the ones in Canada. Yes. But <laughs> goals, right? My proudest moment is my husband who is who will watch Austin with me. And but and he's not he doesn't like dressing up. He hates Halloween. But he was like, no, I know that you'll love this. And he let me attire him in Regency wear and go to the ball with me. He would not dance with me, but he did go. And so this whole concept of like seeing that friction between the academic and the cosplaying sort of, you know, and it's like, I think I love both. Like you said, that both are fun. And so kind of seeing those two pieces meet on screen and create that tension, like you said, looks very fun yeah thank you i think it will be delightful but yeah basically this movie looks so i've seen the rough cut mm -hmm. i'm so excited to see it with everything polished up and like the the sound fixed in the in the real music mm -hmm. um but they do uh, yeah i i love the leads i love the cast as a whole and i think it's just a blast i hope you guys like it too i think we will <laughs> So like then you were still getting to be a little bit involved in the process um, after you've submitted your script. They were giving you like sneak peeks and sort of letting you see what was happening. Mm -hmm. yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I'm used to as a playwright getting to be a bit more involved. Uh, but yeah, it's <laughs> so but I did get to see I did get to see the rough cut. Mm -hmm. uh, and then afterwards, I'm now kind of I made friends with some of the producers uh, just on social media and stuff got a chance to social media friends some of the actors and and one of the producers and um and kind of get to get a little bit of yeah. like how had a zoom meeting and a bit of inside information on what the shooting process was like and it sounds like it was really fun <laughs> honestly you know it's a fast shoot they do very very focused work they really know what they're doing yeah but i think they also they also had fun <laughs> Possibly they were very stressed, but they also had fun. <laughs> well, you kind of, I think it is like a hard gig because you have to turn around things uh, really quickly, but they're so successful. I'm guessing because they have a well, well executed timing plan and method of producing movies at that level. Oh, yes. And a little bit of is it, it's a bit built into mm -hmm. the script. Like I got a few, my concept was very like limited in space and scope. Right right already and actually they had me open it out a little bit they were like get get them away from the conference hall so we can have a little bit of variety okay as part of my instinct as a player is just like yes yeah, put them in the room right let's just be in the room they'll be trapped for some <laughs> and they're like no part of that can feel claustrophobic in a movie we need you to open up a little bit 
So I did that. But, you know, even just like little things are add difficulty and expense mm -hmm. that you can edit out. It's a pain to have people driving and talking in a car, <laughs> you know, it's just a little easier to not do it that way. So unless it's like, unless we're talking like that one scene in Lady Bird, does it really need to be in the car? Right. Right. <laughs> right. That makes sense. And you don't think about that when you're sitting on the other side, right? Yeah. You're just like, oh, that's fine. We'll be in a car. That's normal. It's like, no. Are you getting mileage out of them being in the car? Or could they have this conversation in a coffee shop? Not in the car. Yeah, you know, or like out just outside of the car, mm -hmm. right? And it's not that hard to to change. And there were, I think that was the one main one that really surprised me. But uh there were there were a few things like that. That's that's the one that that springs to mind. Cause I was like, oh, you know, obviously we're gonna avoid avoid fight scenes, we're going to avoid, yeah, you know, explosions. <laughs> That's in the concept, so there's not going to be too many fight scenes or explosions. No, just <laughs> emotional. We'll get squiffy with each other, but no per, per fights. For fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to learn more, and I had a lot of fun talking with the producers and getting the notes back on what to change. Because uh, I, I love knowing more about what works, what makes things. I kind of, I don't know, I've just been playwriting for long enough that I really thrive on strictures and restrictions. Otherwise, I'm like... That makes sense, though, right? Because you're not going to be switching up sets very often. You need something that's really flexible and can sort of like flow in and out of each other. So it would make sense that that would sort of fit the parameters of a Hallmark movie that also doesn't want to build a ton of sets or find a ton of sets. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny. I got to know a little bit of all the little tricks they had. Like, you know, I think there's one, there's one, there's one scene that the producer told me about where the hallway and the hotel room, different buildings, it was such a pain for them to match <laughs> the order. Right. Or was it the right color? They were like, ah, we have to fix this. And so it's all these like, you know, like, or can we set up the shot so that we can't see this building in the in the background that doesn't match the hotel right it has or scene that's supposed to be part of the hotel but it's a it's a different hotel um and all this like when i was writing i wasn't really quite sure what what kind of place they'd use and they actually used a place that was very similar i a few places they used a few different places and they see they were very similar in feel at least to the to the to the uh, jazz at a conference that I went to, like the yeah. real life, which was a adorable kind of old fashioned hotel in a adorable Canadian city, which was, I think, the, the Empress Hotel in Victoria. On our honeymoon, my husband and I went there for dinner. It's a great, great spot. It's cute. It's so cute. But it's yeah. like right in the middle of the city, right? Yeah, it is. It's on the it's on like the harbor, the waterfront. Like if you go to Victoria, it's like right there. Such a good location. I loved it. Um, but I thought like maybe for cost purposes, it would end up being this like more remote thing. It was is actually a mm -hmm. bunch of different resorts cobbled together to make like one imaginary resort of the mind. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the the interesting part of like movie production is they do that all the time, right? Like this interior is nothing to do with that exterior. And then you can create something that is out of like bits to create a whole, which is kind of fun. Montage. Yes. I took one in class in grad school. <laughs> the ball that I went to actually does one at the Empress Hotel as well and other Fairmont. So the one I go to is the local Fairmont and they do one in different Fairmonts around the city and around the country. And so hopefully they'll do it again and I can go and get dressed up again and 
maybe get you my have, husband you to dance. Gotta well, you gotta work on. Maybe maybe the movie will convince him. Uh, you know what? I think I will get him to. He's surprisingly amenable to watching Jane Austen things where he wouldn't something else romance. So I probably can talk him into watching this movie with me. <laughs> I'll report back and let you know. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see if it works. Yes. There's a lot of resistance on the part of the lead to dancing and to dressing up. Uh-huh. She she does she 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 does end up eventually learning to dance with great reluctance. So <laughs> that's excellent. Well, in some sense it's it's easier because it is so formulaic that you have steps that you must follow and they call them out as you dance. So it's almost like a fancy square dancing in a line. They're pretty straightforward. Yeah. Right. So that's why you can banter while you're doing it. Yeah. It's funny because Will Kemp is like, uh, he, he, he's a former ballet dancer. Like he was the lead in Swan Lake. Like, oh, wow. So he can dance. He can, he's like a real dancer, right? I don't think Valerie uh, Jansen is any slouch either. Uh, I don't, you know, she was, I think she was on like the big leap and has done some musical theater type stuff, but like Will Kemp is like a dancer dancer right mm-hmm. so english country dances don't really challenge him that much I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> that's good that, though you no know, it's not like leaping bare-chested across the stage mm-hmm. so i mean not that we'd be opposed to that either but probably not suitable for this story yes <laughs> i should look it up but yeah i know he was in swan lake i don't know which of the roles that he played because i know it was, mm-hmm. it was the math swan lake um that has many many wonderful roles for men only one of whom is shirtless but so I don't want you to like feel like you're you have to give anything away but I'm assuming you may have incorporated some themes or pieces of Pride and Prejudice into your story as well I would say themes and references rather than it being an adaptation Mm -hmm. I would say there's also references to multiple oh fun yeah I think you'll be able if you're if you're a Jane Austen fan, I think you'll definitely see multiple Jane Austeny like tropes and moments and relationships that are not necessarily all from Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely some Pride and Prejudice, right? Yeah, but not not really following the same exact template. Um, there's definitely some sense and sensibility and a few others that I like won't give away. But it's yeah, it's more about referencing it than adapting it if that makes sense yeah totally i i believe they actually did do an ad- an adaptation of sense and sensibility that's also coming out in february uh that yes, looks quite fun because yeah. it is not a modernized adaptation yeah. it's not like oh it's sense and sensibility but they um they make pots or something you know like in 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 vancouver no like it's like sense and sensibility they've got outfits they're there's, you know, there, it's like a full on period thing, which is a bit unusual for Hallmark. So it's kind yeah. of a bit splashy finale for the Jane Austen situation. I'm really quite looking forward to it. I'm excited about it too, because uh, I'm never going to say no to any adaptation of Jane Austen. And I think it'll be really fun to see Hallmark's take on that. And I think there's two other Jane Austen related movies that are sort of like yours set and adjacent and talking about Jane Austen, but not full on adaptations of it. Yes, there there's actually I think mine is. So I've, I've gone on ahead and and thoroughly stalked all the other all of my new <laughs> friends. And some of this is inference. Mm-hmm. But what I've gathered, what I've inferred 
is that we're sort of we're ramping up our level of uh of period dress so okay. we're starting with which is very firmly set in the modern era though we do have you know some people doing their cosplay and we have an excuse to put will Kump in this outfit yeah. uh that really looks nice in um and uh and then the, the next one I have inferred is about a woman who receives advice from like the ghost of Jane Austen. I don't know the like Jane Austen appears to her and gives her advice. <laughs> That's Jane amazing. There, talks with Jane Austen. Yeah. That that and Jane Austen helps her with her modern day romantic travails is what I've is what I've inferred from because mm-hmm. they don't have the trailer out yet. They just have like you know a line or two and then like a few things. I'm like oh that that's like she is. She's communing with the spirit of Jane Austen in some way. And Jane Austen is, she's applying these lessons uh, to her own, to her yeah. own life. Whether that's just, she's reading the books and she's imagining it. I don't, I don't quite know how supernatural it gets. Ghosts would be fun though. It should be fun. Yeah, I'm really yeah. looking forward to it. It's adorable. And the third one is definitely got some supernatural elements because it appears to be about a woman being transported. I have no inside info. These are not spoilers. I'm just being a yeah. fan, making inferences. It appears to be about a woman who is directly transported into Pride and Prejudice, a modern day woman. So, oh, excellent! Sort of like that uh, mini series. I can't remember what it's called, but she goes through the door in her attic and swaps places with Lizzie, and she becomes the character of Lizzie. It's great, actually. I think that's. I think that's the deal. What is that? That sounds fun. I should watch that. I am going to like not definitely not be doing some quick googling. <laughs> <laughs> The actress, I believe, for the the third one, I believe her name is Eliza Bennett. Wild. That is That's wild. Her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she she's she's an English actress, so her parents probably knew what they so were doing. So not a fake, um, if not a fake accent, because sometimes those are classic. Oh no, she's playing an American. So yes, she's oh, doing great. <laughs> That's so good. Because <laughs> they go both ways, right? Yes. Lost in Austin is what it's called. Lost in Austin is that show. Oh, really? Okay. It's a I think a three episode little series and her and Elizabeth swap places and she takes over the role. So cool. That's so fun. Oh. This looks delightful. Now I'm forgetting what the uh, I'm forgetting what the name of the other of of the Lost in Austin type movie is, but um, it is oh, an American in Austin. Ah, that's good. Yeah. 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 So yeah, the the women one one thing is that uh, we can put you can put on your renewed um, Hallmark bingo cards that don't quite have as many tropes is the women do tend to be American mm-hmm. and the men um, uh, can, can hail from all kinds of interesting places. It's true, right? Cause there's a whole bunch where a bunch of American women went to different places in Europe. Most of them were filmed in Ireland. Uh, but yeah, they had all these different European heroes. That's very true. That's a good one to add. I was considering that, it might be good because uh, one of my listeners made a digital version and he can like generate different cards. And I was like going to say to him, could we do an Austin one and then throw in some things that we'd guess would show up in an Austin movie? Because that could be terribly fun. That's a good idea. I think mm-hmm. you should absolutely. I've made a drinking game for the premiere. So Excellent. A little bit of a cheat since I basically know what happens. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but 
Yeah, I'm trying to keep people. I'm trying to keep people's buzz reasonable, but yes. you know, uh, uh, fun. Are you doing a viewing party with some of your friends? Um, yeah, I'm doing a viewing party with some of That's my friends. That's so good. I, I hope that the streaming service that I have to use in the hotel does not <laughs> abandon me. Um, but I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, that will be fun. I have one other funny thing to say about about the men with accents. Mm-hmm. It is that uh, Willow Kemp's character was originally American and they made him British. Whereas Mallory Jensen, I think, is Australian. She's not American, but she's playing American. Yes. So, <laughs> so it fall it follows the pattern of American women. That's really so. now I, I just like it's so obvious when you say it that that is something that always happens. It's for it's largely for an American market, so yep. Yep. And again, it's the female gaze. Yeah, so. absolutely. And we all think men with accents are just that little bit sexier. So, and but we still, uh, since it's primarily an American market, we still want to have like a, an American heroine to yeah. uh, buy with. That makes sense. I'm going to give you a book recommendation that your movie reminds me of. And it's one of like, I just love this book a lot. It's from Elizabeth Peter, and it is called Die for Love. It is a cozy murder mystery, but it is set at a romance conference. And so there are characters that dress up as romance characters, and they do like events, and it's like much fluffier and like more frivolous than a Jasna conference, a Jane Austen Society conference. But I think you might enjoy it. And it's it's quite funny. That sounds delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds that sounds super delightful. Oh, I have a book recommendation for everybody too. Only if you get if you get really interested in like Jasna. Another thing that I read for research was a a book called Among the Jainites, which is just a a nonfiction book that is about about Jane Austen fandom, and it has a lot of extremely quirky characters. Excellent. <laughs> so, I I did I honestly I didn't go anywhere near that quirky in the movie, but there's just you know a panoply of Jane Austen fans who uh, come from all kinds of different backgrounds and have different passions and obsessions and yeah. and and it's it's quite if you if you like fandom, which I do, I'm kind of a fan of fandom. It's quite mm-hmm. an interesting. Well, I just think. I always say we're always everyone's a nerd about something, and what I love is that sport fans don't realize they're just in a different fandom. So you look and you think, <laughs> oh, those Star Wars people, or those Jane Austen people, they're so nerdy. And it's like, yeah, but you're just as nerdy. It's just about sports. And I love it. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. I love it, I love it when people love things. <laughs> yeah, it's more fun, right? It's more fun to throw yourself into a fandom and uh, get some joy out of it because there's plenty of ways that we can be stressed or have no joy. <laughs> So let's find the communities where we connect and can have some fun. So I think that was particularly attractive to me in paging Mr. Darcy, even before I, because I I wasn't sure which one you'd written. And I was like, oh, that one looks like a lot of fun. Just the concept seems good, solid. Thank you. Thank you. I hope people watch it. Oh, I guarantee that they will, because I know a whole bunch of people who are very excited about it. Yay. (laughs) Well, I won't take up any more of your time, but I really appreciate you talking to me about this. And I'm just seriously not kidding. Like when your shitty boyfriend's book comes out, (laughs) please let me know. And we can talk about that because that sounds like something I would 
sounds like, yeah, who doesn't want to read a book about that? In the distant future, when I have written it, I will be doing as much press as anyone yeah. will let me do. So <laughs> definitely, definitely hit you up for that. So thank you so much for joining. And I always sign off by telling my agents, stay safe, agents. Agents of Smooch is part of the Incomparable Network. If you are enjoying our show, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to join the Smooch Agency, you can become a member of the Incomparable at theincomparable.com slash members. Members can choose to support us and any other shows on the network, and you get extra perks like hanging out in the members-only Slack channel and bonus content such as our growing list of incomprehensible agents of smooch tipsy commentaries. Thank you for listening. Your next mission will be coming to you soon.